Good morning, Todd. Hey, <laughs> it's morning from you? my side. Is it morning from your side? It is not. It is evening here. <laughs> right. And you guys have just had a massive, a massive storm come through in Texas. Wow. Awesome. Love those Texas storms, man. Um, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, um, I think Todd needs no introduction to this show. I mean, most of our listeners listen to Glory Cloud as well. I think I might even just go ahead and say all of our listeners do. I think there's almost a complete overlap there. Um, so they know who you are. I don't even have to uh, introduce you. But uh, if you are tuning into this podcast and checking us out on YouTube kind of randomly, then uh, you also do need to go check out Glory Cloud Podcast. And that's where uh, Todd Bordeaux uh, is uh, the um, co-host with Chris Kai, who's also on the show uh, quite a few times. So go check that out. And, uh, and have a look and then come back here. And, uh, and what we're doing today, uh, which I'm thrilled about, is, is uh, just getting to find out a little bit more about Todd. So the whole thing is really kind of an introduction in that sense. Um, and uh, we, we've heard a lot from him. Uh, really appreciated uh, his insights. Uh, have you been on the, the Glory Cloud for about a year or two now already, maybe a little bit over the uh, year? Almost two years, actually. Yeah, totally. So it's been a lot and, um, you know, just over, the, it's amazing. You know, you just, the weeks roll by and you just, you know, it's just the material you guys get through and just these insights that that's so helpful along the way. So I, I was just thrilled at the opportunity of being able to chat a little bit more to you and, uh, you know, finding a little bit more about you. Um, so in that, in that vein, um, let, let's just jump right in. I mean, would you, would you mind just giving us a little kind of a tour of your life, a little story? Um, uh, I mean, maybe we could start with, with um, you know, how you became a Christian. Or did you did you come up in a Christian household, or uh, did you become a Christian at some point? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm Jewish. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't. Wow. Yeah. Oh, actually, I did. I totally remember hearing that, and then I forgot it again. <laughs> that is so interesting. Wow. Was Klein also? Sorry. Yeah. Was Klein also Jewish at some point? No. Was, Okay, so it was I thought maybe you guys had this like crazy connection on the Jewish front, and I was like, "That's that's crazy." Do you speak Hebrew? Uh, no, I studied Hebrew as a child, you know, modern Hebrew. Yeah, because it's typical in the Jewish culture that you go to Hebrew school in the afternoon once a week. Oh no way! But it's it was cool. mostly preparing for bar mitzvah, and it's it's written. You don't really know what you're saying. Right. As much right. Okay. It's just learning to pronounce the. Yeah. Words. Okay. So it's not like your mom speaking to you in like Hebrew. <laughs> no, no, no. Not like but that at all. That would be pretty cool, right? That would be amazing if you go to seminary and you've already nailed Hebrew. <laughs> that would be so, awesome. But you forget a lot from the time you're nine. Yeah. But at least there's a little bit of familiarity, right? With, uh, with the, I don't know, the Hebrew script at least or something, because it's, it's all quite strange when you go into it for the first time. Otherwise, yeah. When I took Hebrew in seminary, uh, certainly it looked familiar, right? Yeah, but it had been so long; it was like almost starting over. Do you do you have any uh, people in your family that actually speak Hebrew? You know, or anyone that you could have no, talked to at that point? We were not. You know, most Jews in America are not religious. It's right. Really, more of a cultural thing. Yeah. Okay. So we grew up going to synagogue on Saturdays, but. Only because that's what we did, not because we believe. Yeah, I would say we generally atheistic Jews, though we would call ourselves atheists. Wow, crazy! Um, so by the yeah. time I was a teenager, I was, I was a fairly idealistic child, and so I, when I saw my rabbi stone cold drunk at certain events, no way. <laughs> yeah, it kind of made me wonder about religion at all. So right. wow. I wasn't religious as in any way and didn't, didn't believe anything. And it wasn't until I was 17, I was your typical, of course, this is the seventies okay. and the seventies in America and we all partied and smoked pot and right. Right. Um, just what you can think of when you watch those movies, that was us. <laughs> right. And so when I was a senior in high school, my best friend in Phoenix, Arizona, mm -hmm. his parents led campus crusade for Christ high school ministry in, in the city. But my friend and I, we always partied together and smoked together. Mm -hmm. But the camp was having a, a, a seven-day spring break retreat up at a camp in the mountains. And so 
they invited me to go. And my friend said, look, it's a bunch of religious weirdos, but we can bring up our pot and just go up in the mountains and get high and yeah. hang out. So I said, sure. Yeah. And so in the bus on the way up to the camp, it's the first time I've ever seen or met Christians. And it really hit me how much joy they had. Mm. To see happy, joyous teenagers was really odd. Right, right. Especially not on anything. Yeah. So that intrigued me to the point of being interested. Okay. And during that camp, you know, I started reading the New Testament for the first time on my own. They gave me a Bible. Hmm. And really it was just something I was thinking about for a few months. And then there was another Campus Crusade camp in Estes Park, Colorado in um, June of 1980. And I went up to that camp. And by the way, it was interesting that one of the, the chief song leader and singer at that time was a girl just going into the music industry. Her name was Amy Grant. Wow. And so she was our, no our singer song leader for that week. But she, of course, I'd never heard of her. No one had heard of her. Right, right, right. Amazing. So, um, and her songs were simple, but they did sort of minister to me to think about spiritual things. Yeah. But it was really the, the evening speaker, he preached a series on what happened on the cross. Really what happened the last week of Christ's life ended with the last night was, what did Jesus do on the cross? What was going on? Mm-hmm. And that so moved me that I'm pretty sure at that moment I was converted. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I believed in Christ and wanted him to have my whole heart. And, and so from that point on, and that was the very last, and that was actually the last night I had ever smoked marijuana. I actually was smoking at the camp and I threw a, what's called a dime bag. Some of your listeners will know, others will not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I threw that down the toilet after that night. Right. But So it wasn't long before things were obviously difficult at home. Yeah, I was about to ask. Yeah, that's crazy. After the first weeks, I was invited to church and I had to sneak out. And I would sneak out on Sunday mornings, go to church, and very generally say I was with friends, which... It's true. In the general so is that, sense, is that just because it's, like it's like a cultural thing for them, pretty much? They're, they're just like, you know, you're Jewish. So even though you're not really going to, I don't know, synagogue or whatever, you shouldn't go to church. Yeah, in Judaism, it's not the religious part of it. It's the Christian part of it. In other words, if I was a Jew playing around with Buddhism or something else, yeah. that would be looked upon as fine. Wow. But Christianity is considered frail. Right. Of the way they raised us, the betrayal of my family. It's it's looked upon very different than any other religion. Mm. And of course, if you would be an atheist, you'd be fine. Nobody would care. Amazing. But believing in Jesus was, of course, the biggie. Yeah. All right. So you're sneaking out. Yeah. So I'm sneaking out, going to church, and then eventually um, got convicted. I needed to tell my parents. So I sat down with my parents and explained what happened and what the gospel is. And they were very upset mm. as you can imagine. Yeah. Well, so there was sort of a, a detachment at that point. I was estranged. I had to move out. Wow. And when I moved out, I had started going to a community college. I was going to be a tennis instructor. Cause that's what I, I was a pretty good tennis player in high school. I thought, well, maybe that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Mm. So I moved out and I was working actually three jobs and going to school full-time, three part-time jobs at Phoenix Community College. Mm. But during that time, I got involved in the youth group at the local church I was at, which is a really large Bible church in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And I became a youth leader. And, and every once in a while, it would be my turn of all the youth leaders to teach. Right. When I would teach, when I was done, the adults in the room, you know, you have a lot of parents involved, would come up and say, you need to go in the ministry, you're a teacher. Which was really odd because I had never taught anything in my life. I'd never been up front. I was very quiet and shy. Interesting. And so 
that made me think about going into the ministry as a new Christian even. And then, then, then I heard a presentation on missionary work overseas. And, you know, I was one of those guys that walked forward. I want to be a missionary. Right. <laughs> so there was a local Bible college, dispensational, but very, you know, not extreme in any sense. Not even sort of in mid-Calvinist Arminian, right in the middle. Right, right. Most of them had come from Dallas Theological Seminary. Yeah. And that was the only option to be trained for the ministry. And so the problem is I didn't have enough money. And back then, you didn't get student loans. Right, okay, yeah. We didn't think like that. We, you pay for it or you don't go. And seminary hasn't been cheap, right? Well, it, it isn't cheap now. I don't know if it was different back then. Yeah, I'll tell you that. But at the time, you know, I was praying and then, I, I don't know if this is this was right, but I felt like I needed to get my parents' blessing. I would go over there once in a while. It was tense, but I would still try to see them. Okay. But I but going into the ministry would have been just devastating wow. for them as parents. Yeah. That's next one level. Thing, yeah. Because it's next level. Because yeah. I think they were thinking this may be a phase. They'll wait it out. Yeah. But once you dedicate yourself to becoming a pastor, then it's life. So... Wow. You know, I, I actually prayed to the Lord that in some weird way, may I get their blessing. Mm -hmm. So I went over and told them my plans to go to this Bible college if I could find the money. And they were very upset, a lot of tears. But at the end, my father said something like, well, it's your life, whatever you want to do. Wow. And I took that as, okay, yeah. that's my blessing. <laughs> um, yeah, well. But I didn't have the money, and in a very strange way, the Lord provided. And that is, about a few weeks before school started, I was hit by a drunk driver. And yeah. uh, it totaled my car, but I wasn't hurt. And the settlement came out, then that settlement paid for my whole first semester of school. No way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, so, that's a mysterious, mysterious providence right there. Amazing. Yes, those don't happen too often, but this time it did. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And so I ended up going to Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Cheryl. Cheryl had moved up from Mexico. She was a missionary kid that grew up in Mexico. Okay, cool. And she had come to take some classes at the school. So at that point, I worked in the afternoons and actually paid for school. God provided enough through my job um, to get through without any debt, which was wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. And then so, at that point after... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask, I missed the seminary there. Was that Dallas that you went to? Or? No, no, this is a Bible college. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, Bible college, right. Sorry. Yeah, this, yeah, got this it. This was a school called Arizona College of the Bible. It no longer exists. But Okay, cool. So I went to Bible college, graduated. Then I was called to be a youth pastor in a Baptist church in Central California, a small farming community there. All right. So Sharon and I went there, and um, during those, I was there three years. It was a wonderful experience. They were great to us, and it's fun because when you're in a small farming town, it was like 12,000 people. Mm -hmm. When you do a youth event, it is the event in town. Oh, wow. Classic. Yeah. So there's nothing else. <laughs> so we had the largest youth group and the largest events. Amazing. In town. But yeah. um Towards the third year, I really got a sense that I wanted to study the word more. I didn't feel like I really knew it as far as what it contained, but I couldn't put it together. Right. I really didn't have a theology. I just had Bible knowledge. And the desire to go to seminary was really strong. And, and it was rough for us because the people loved us. We had a great life there. Um, youth group was growing, but... I, I couldn't sleep almost with this desire to go to seminary. So that made me unhappy because I felt guilty for wanting to leave, but I really wanted to go to school. So um, I finally told the senior pastor, I said, I, this desire won't go away. I've been praying about it for a year. And he said, you know, that sounds like it's of the Lord. You should just follow it. And so I did what I wouldn't recommend nowadays, but you know, you're young and you're, <laughs> your faith may lack some basic wisdom, but I, I simply resigned without having a position or a job or anything. 
<laughs> right. So I'm, I'm just muting my mic, Todd. We've got this guy working on our kitchen and he's drilling through something right now. So if I'm laughing and not making any sounds, that's why. But I'm with okay. you. Man. And uh, that, that's so funny that you did that, though. I love it. I'm glad you told me that because you looked really creepy the way that looked. <laughs> so he's uh he's nearly done i just got to get through this last line. i don't know if you can hear that it's like a coming i cannot there. hear it now okay excellent well maybe i'll leave it on there it should be fine uh but yeah wow so you just bolted you just um without any without any safety net so to speak yeah what happened was and this is what um how the lord brought me to reform theology i was going to move back to phoenix because i had a lot of connections there and i knew i could get work i grew up there but at the last minute, Cheryl's parents had moved to Escondido and they had started a um, Hispanic church. Hmm. And so he found out that there was a church in Temecula looking for a youth pastor. Hmm. And I was going to move back to Phoenix because there was, they were planting a, an extension of Western Conservative Baptist Seminary. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll go there for my seminary and work and pay for it. So, if I, so are you kind of Baptistic in your leanings at this point? Is this, um, no. no. All right. It so it was just, then, was. No, I mean, uh, sorry, back then is what I'm talking about. Was there a oh, later, yes. a, re- a later evolution into kind of a, a Presbyterian understanding? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I was already coming out of dispensationalism. I was reading things like George Ladd. Yes. And George Ladd was not, you know, reformed, but he no. questioned dispensationalism. He did. Yeah. And so I was really appreciating that. So, I knew what I wasn't. I just didn't know what I was at that point. Right, right. Totally. Got it. I, I knew I didn't fit that system. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what ended up happening, it's one of, one of these providences, is we were already packing up and her, my wife's father called me and said, there's a church about half an hour from Westminster Seminary in Escondido that's looking for a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll send a resume. So I sent a resume down. It's a large church. I mean, they wow. were one of the premium churches in the area. And so wow. size-wise, so I didn't think we had a shot. No one knew, knew Cheryl or me. So they asked us to come down for an interview pretty quickly, which surprised us. So we drove down um, to Southern California, to that area. And uh, they interviewed me. And the next couple of days, they offered me the position. Wow. We were just in shock, totally unexpected. We already had most things packed up. So we ended up moving to there. And, you know, I told them I want to start at least part-time school while I'm a youth pastor. They said, if it's part-time, no problem. And you've got like Westminster right down the road. (laughs) And that was, yeah, it was a 25-minute drive to Westminster. So that's where Klein comes in. Yeah, wow. So did you... um, Two questions, but before um, you move on there, were you already married at that point? Yeah, and I were married, and by that time, we had our first child. We have five children, but that's when we had our first child. Okay, in, cool. In, so things were already moving there. And then uh, had you even heard of Westminster Seminary? Is, is, was that like on I your t- radar? I looked it up. On the, I think no. we had internet then. I looked it up. So I th- yeah, I think there was internet. But I looked it up and found out it was solid. You know, I didn't wow. know what... You- reform was but i knew it was conservative and they believe the bible so i thought okay that's what i call a providence right there i mean that that is um that is amazing <laughs> you know and you you know people agonizing over which seminary to go to and you know and and uh and the whole thing and yeah you're at the seminary it's amazing that's awesome i, I think if i'm not mistaken i think uh i think it was listening to either klein's son or grandson talk about this but he was just saying something similar happened with, with klein right where he was about to go to dallas or something I can't, I can't remember the details now but uh, just by some amazing twist of events he ended up in westminster rather than um you know some completely different scenario so you know you just can't help help but marvel at those things sometimes Oh, no, I, I need to hear that story. That, I never yeah, heard that before. I, I think it was, I'm just, I'll check it down and I'll, I'll, I'll flick it to you. But yeah, it's, I think it was by his, um, his grandson, that interview. But anyways, we'll, we'll come back to that. But on, on your, um, uh, so you don't know about, you've, you basically think it's a, a solid conservative seminary. Oh boy. And uh, what were, tell me about your first impressions. Like what was, did it rock your world or did it kind of just ease into it? You know, it my or? first class was um, Kingdom Prologue. Oh, and wow. I, I and there's Meredith Klein on his board explaining 
things. Surrounded and I, by the glory cloud. It was. It was glorious. It, it's the closest thing to a second conversion you can imagine because the whole Bible was coming together for me. Wow. And, you know, people struggle with climb, but I was just in a place where it all made sense right away. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I was just there and ready. And, and so I you're not coming in with the, the reformed baggage so much. It's not like, you know, because I think people struggle with climb when they come in. It seems to me anyway, when, when they're coming in from a, I don't know, perhaps they've come up in a reformed church and they've had a certain kind of reformed theology, you know, the whole way through and then they get Klein and then they're like, uh, but it seems like, you know, if you come in fresh or coming from the other angle, even uh, from a more dispensational background, you know, it, it just provides quite a, you know, it just, it just clicks. It seems, I don't know. Um, you know, the, I think the, that's the, right. Some, yeah. All right. So you're having, you don't, your have sec- to, you don't have to unlearn anything in a sense. That's true. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it actually clicked for you the first time you were under his ministry as a way or under his uh, teaching there. Yes. And when he came to Genesis 17, he convinced me of infant baptism. Okay. That's quickly. when it happened. That faithful that's moment. <laughs> so, so I came home and tried to explain it to my wife and oh, that boy. took a good while. I didn't, she <laughs> not there. I mean, it was hard for her because she grew up Baptist theology and okay. to think that her father could be wrong. That you know, that's tough when you have a lot of respect totally, for your father. Totally. Then you just gotta go up, but don't you understand, honey? It's about the glory cloud and the glory cloud. <laughs> let me let me draw you at Klein's drawing you on the board here. Yeah, like that's what gonna help that? anyone. Yeah, just right. a big train smash on the board. Yeah, totally. Oh man. Funny. Exactly. Well, I've had a similar experience where I've I've tried to uh, you know explain at least Klein's rationale which i thought was revolutionary on the infant baptism thing you know it, you know and i'm trying to explain it to my wife and uh and she was just not buying it and i was just doing an absolute wreck of a job it sent me back to the drawing board i don't know if i you know it sort of exposes this you thought you understood but you actually didn't you know and then you have to go back yes. and you come back it's kind of my litmus test i know that if i can properly explain it to my wife i know that i've actually got it myself you know so i don't know if it's the same for you yeah, it's one thing to say you understand it, but then when you have to explain it to someone else. Yeah, without the terminology, uh, you know, you can't use the, the theological terminology and you can't use the, you got to actually say what you mean, you know. You know so. and, and again, a lot of it is emotional. It's for all of us, it's having to admit that things we were taught were wrong yep, yep. without denigrating the person that you can be a godly person and just get things wrong. We all do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go through that process, but. You know, when she wasn't sure, I would say, is it okay if we baptize the kids? And if you trust me that it's not at this point, could you trust me as long as it's not against your conscience? If you're still, she said, yeah, I trust you. And so we baptized the kids and, and eventually, you know, there was, I don't know what we were listening to or what I was explaining, but it just clicked for her. Okay. And then it was all there from that point on. She, she was there. So. And uh, it was, you're at a Baptist church at that point, or was that a... It was a broad evangelical church, and that was the problem. Okay. Because we thought, okay, I now have a place where I can go to school for well, as long as I'm here and have a job. We can pay for school. Again, we didn't think student loans in those days. Right, right, right. We thought you pay for school. Yeah. So I was able to pay for part-time what I needed. Mm-hmm. But there were two problems. One, you realize as you looked at the amount of classes you'll need, if I keep going part-time, I'm going to be in school 20 years. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah totally. So eventually I'm going to have to go full-time. Yeah. And then the other thing was happening is once you learn Reformed theology, you're going to a broad evangelical church and yeah. you're the youth pastor. <laughs> oh, man. You start seeing all the things you don't like yeah. that, that are wrong. It's a difficult situation. Totally. It was tough. And matter of fact, the second year, things were getting bad because the things I was watching in worship and hearing from the pulpit were bothering me more and more. And I was on the staff and and I didn't want to leave. We just got there, you know, not even yeah. two years. Oh, man. But so the final straw came where I, it was a Mother's Day. And the pastor got up and he was going to preach. And then his wife came up sort of in a joking way, pushed him out of the way and said, it's Mother's Day, it's my turn. And then she, I won't even say preached, it was she taught on raising kids. I mean, there's no gospel, nothing. 
Nothing. So yeah. everything you could imagine wrong. And I turned to my wife and I said, we're done. We're done. I, I can't do this. Yeah. And so the staff met every week, usually on Tuesday morning. We met at a local restaurant. And that's the pastor, the other, few other pastors, worship leaders. And typically, and you know how broad evangel- uh, evangelicalism, and you know, I don't want to denigrate all of it, but if people liked it, you, you thought it was good. Right, exactly, yeah. If you, got a, yeah. if you got a really good response, you're happy. <laughs> that's exactly it, yeah. And, and I, I'm not an in-your-face type guy. I wasn't always raising objections. I'm pretty quiet. But So at the, at the uh, meeting, they were praising the Sunday morning, the Mother's Day, for all the positive response they gotten, how large the crowd was. Right. And I finally said, I had to say something before resigning. Yeah. I, yeah. And I said, shouldn't we at least think about whether that was proper according to the word of God? Mm. Mm. And it was really quiet. And you could see how angry they were for me to suggest or even say that. Mm. I mean, it was anger on their faces. Yeah. Well. And they, they didn't really answer. They kind of thought I was, who are you to be so judgmental? And yeah. the spirit, you know, the spirit was there, obviously. How do you question the spirit? Right, exactly. So, yeah. I think that afternoon I went into the pastor's office. I said, I need to resign. Wow. And so that really threw us because now school's over. Man. And I just started, you know, two years part-time. By the oh. way, that's where I met Lee and Misty. Oh, really? Uh, I was, wow. I was in class, mostly more Misty than Lee, but I was in class with them at different times. So, okay. So they were in class with you. Wow. I didn't realize that. Okay, good. So you actually got to know Lee at, as a student with him at, at, at seminary. Yeah. We, and we actually went to the same church together for a while. Okay. So now you met Lee and you're, you're thinking, what are you going to do at this point? How is that, uh, how is that uh, going to work out for you? Yeah. So what we decided to do is, and we were very sad about it, but we moved back to Phoenix because again, I had a lot of contacts and I could get jobs and we would just work for a while and just figure out a plan B, what we're going to do. We had two kids at that time. Wow. That's crazy. So we moved back to Phoenix and got an apartment in a very sketchy part of town because that's all we could afford. And again, I got a number of jobs. I was working a lot of hours. And my yeah. wife was a waitress, and we worked out our hours, so one of us would be home with the kids. Yeah, I was about to ask. Like, my, I know my wife would want to know that. Who, yes. How did you do that? How? How? How did you know? I mean, just uh, seminary and kids on on its own is a thing, you know. Let alone working jobs and uh, from both of your sides. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. So there was no obviously no seminary that year, and I just tried to make some money and um, share a waitress at a Mexican restaurant and made some tip money for us and. But towards the end of the year, it was just really difficult because I wanted to go to seminary so bad. And yeah. So then that was the time you started thinking about student loans. Okay. <laughs> so I thought, you know, what? let's bite the bullet. Yeah. Let's get a student loan. We got to move back to Escondido. I got to go to seminary. Yeah. You weren't thinking down. drunk drivers at that point? I'd be like yeah, roaming around the street. <laughs> yeah, I should have went downtown and kind of looked yeah. around for the drunk. Totally. Totally. Man, the temptation would have been there to say the least. But anyway. All right, so you went student loan. It crossed my mind until you said it right there. <laughs> so what happened was, and this is another um, neat providence, is we moved back to, we moved to San Diego after a year. Just, again, it was a step of faith, but we got the loan. Okay. Now, it seemed like a lot back then, but in today's day, that was nothing. That was right. a pretty small loan. Okay. Wow. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, a decent chunk today. I mean, I'm always like, whenever I hear those numbers, I'm like, Oh, I know. That is just unbelievable. I mean, I can't even fathom it. Maybe it's the conversion rate or something, but I'm just like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can't fathom it either. Right. Yeah. Right. But they have to pay. Yeah. I mean, in New Zealand, because, you know, I mean, South Africa was a little bit like that. If you went to a really good university, you'd you'd have to just cough out like a whole mortgage kind of thing. in New Zealand, we get so soft to this stuff because it's it's kind of like all your decent universities, all you can get like student uh, interest free loans from the government, and you know it's just very cruisy and it's very well priced, and you know and then, and then every now and again you just get a blast from what's going on in the states, and it's just frightening. So yeah, I mean for ministry students, we've had a couple of people come um, 
think about coming to New Zealand from either Westminster Seminary or one of the big seminaries. And, um, and every time it's become a problem that they've got, they've got all the student loan debt they got to pay. And they, you know, it's a downgrade on the currency, you know, and still pay that debt is going to be too much of a problem for them. And it ends up being, being something that keeps them from coming. So it, it riles me up a little bit. I wish there was another way. Yeah, there should be. Mm. Yeah. So what happened was, again, and I, I wouldn't recommend this, but it was one of those things where, um, enough people had told us to go in the ministry, told me we started the process. Let's finish it any way we can. So we moved back. We moved to San Diego and Cheryl, my wife's sister, lived there. We lived with them for a couple of weeks. And I was job hunting in Escondido near the seminary. Mm-hmm. And I found a job, a graveyard shift job at a brain injury rehab center. And then Cheryl got a job again, waitressing. And, and those who are from Escondido will know it was the Lawrence Welk Resort. Okay. So she was a waitress at the dinner theater. Pretty good tips on certain nights. Yeah. And so uh, we were still really poor because our money was all going to school. And so, and then rent. But, you know, this is amazing now. But back then, we got a condo in Escondido for 500 a month. Two-bedroom, two-story condo for the four of us. Wow. And in the six years we were there, she never raised the rent once. No way. That's amazing. Yeah. So can you imagine Southern Cal now, 500 a month for a uh, condo? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's insane. Totally. I mean, I'm, a, I'm not totally in touch with the prices there, but I could imagine, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just for the few times I've been, I imagine it's a lot more than that. So yeah. Wow. Good job. So what happened was we, back then they, one of the students even had a food pantry for the students and we, we would go there for a lot of our groceries and, it was the, those were the days where you had cash in your hand, and by the end of the week, if your cash was done, that's what you spent. Right, right. And so even though we were poor in the American sense, not in the other countries, yeah. you know, we were happy. We were learning. We, um, the Lord provided just enough. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the loan paid for school, which only took me f- maybe four years to pay back because, like I said, it in today's standards, it was pretty yeah. small. Yeah, wow. But I was, it was really rough for me to do that. Maybe that's the Jewish in me. I did not want right. to take out a loan and pay other people. Well, wisdom money. in that, for sure. As I was saying, you know, I just kind of, you know, I've seen people quite crippled by it at the end. It almost seems like a self-defeating thing sometimes. Yeah, I suppose it works if you're like going to go into like this very well-paying pastorate somewhere you know, when does that happen ever? I suppose it does happen for some people, but I mean, in terms of like heading over to some third world context and being a missionary or, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get a lot of money. You know, it's the wrong, wrong career path for that. So it doesn't seem like the same kind of, um, you know, sense, I suppose, like when you, if you're going into something that's, you know, getting this marketable degree or going into academia or you're wanting to, you know, get your money back essentially it kind of makes sense to take out that massive loan but yeah i don't know it's a it's difficult it's a difficult thing but well done for getting through it without that uh that massive thing over your head yeah yeah it's just funny you say that because i just remember thinking this debt is massive (laughs) for for those times right cool so uh, and then then you got through seminary you're a like super duper declining at that point did you did you uh did you connect with uh, Meredith Klein himself, did you become quite good friends with him? I mean, as a student, you know, I yeah. don't know. I mean, I had him for the classes he taught. I, I mean, I had him for the different classes, but I did end up flying out with a group of guys to see him in Massachusetts later. Well, but I don't know if he'd remember my name before he died or not, but uh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, he'd, he'd remember my face for sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's amazing. What an experience. I mean, obviously we've heard a little bit about that with you and Chris and you guys all talk about it. And so, you know, I think that's kind of yeah. the one area that we feel we uh, were able to connect with you guys on. It's just, it's, you're, you're like the, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, 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 what is that whole thing where you kind of, uh, if I know you, 
then I'm only one degree away from Klein or two uh, degrees away yeah, from Klein. <laughs> one of those things. You're the closest uh, thing we've got to, to Klein in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, what, what, what I'm thinking about hearing you talk, though, is that you, you went, you did seminary again. You got your demon after that. Uh, so you went back for more pain after, after the pain. Uh, I did. A few years later, I, I had become a church planner for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church after graduation. Yeah. So I planted three churches, and in my third church, I did want to go get a demon, wanted to write a dissertation. So actually, my third church helped me out a bit, but I, I was able to do that all with just paying for it, not no more debt, which was nice. But I ended up um, writing on divorce. Yeah. Um, my dissertation that we talked about on Glory Cloud. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was at RTS in Orlando. So just to reverse a little bit there, I mean, um, you, so have you, you went out as a church planner. What is, what, how, obviously that's interesting to me, just uh, being in the church planning world, but, but what does that look like with, um, you know, what's the process that you got out of seminary, you were at a Presbyterian church and they just, uh, how, you know, did they, they just kind of select people or do you apply or how does that work? Yeah, you either can apply to a particular church or you can send it into like the OPC or the home missions of a presbytery okay. and let them let them know you're available. I was open. I was licensed in the PCA okay. in California. So I was sending resumes to both OPC and PCA and a few others. Yeah. But this this particular group, and the way they do it in the OPC is if there's a small, well, at least they used to, if there's a small core group of around 25, 30 people that want to start a church, mm-hmm. they begin meeting under the oversight of home missions and if it grows enough where they've saved enough to maybe cover half the salary, then the OPC covers the other half for four right. years. Okay. And so when they had grown enough that they were ready to call a pastor, then they called me. Got it. Okay. So you came that into that point in, and you're getting a salary and so forth. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so uh, is, that, you've, is that the church that you're currently at? Or is, is that, did you move no, no, on from I that plan, I did that three times. I did one in... Eastern Washington. Okay. But I didn't stay as the pastor. I just organized it and then moved down to Fort Worth, Texas. Right. And it was a situation. And, but I was there, organized it, which means you train the leaders and then they get ordained, the officers. And then I stayed there as their pastor for another six years or so. So I was there eight years. Then I did that again in New Mexico, in Rio Rancho. Same process was there. Right. Um, years total. Yep. And then I think you knew that I lost my voice. My vocal cords broke down. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're reminding me of something I heard on Glory Cloud. But yeah. So tell us about that. Was that from? Well, what was some, that from? For some reason, I started to lose my voice and, and I didn't under, no one understood. And first, I thought maybe it was something in the or allergies because it is high desert, but it yeah. kept getting worse and worse. So I went to the throat doctor and he didn't know what was going on. Didn't understand it. Hmm. So they thought at first the allergies and, but it just kept getting worse. So finally they, they noticed um, that the, there were some nodes um, on my throat and they thought maybe I had throat cancer Wow! and started maybe with from my lungs because that would explain the nodes and often yeah. lung cancer goes up into the throat. Okay. So I had a, a CAT scan and waited for that and uh, thought maybe this was the end wow. um, because yeah. there was no other. And my parents were heavy smokers. Okay. So they were trying to connect it. Maybe this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and finally the CAT scan came back and said, your lungs are fine. We have no idea. So wow. I went to a third specialist. This, this is supposed to be the best ears, no, nose and throat guy in New Mexico. Yeah. Right. And he did a lot of looking in there and he found that the vocal cords had come apart. And he says, oh. this is very, very rare for vocal cords just to separate. Yeah. And that's why, and, and he said, there's only two options. You can get steroid injections every few months for the rest of your life right. to strengthen them. Yeah. Or you can get surgery to put an implant that forces your vocal cords. Well, I chose the surgery. Yeah. And he said, after the surgery, within a week or two, you're going to have your voice full. It's going to be strong. Yeah. So he was wrong. Oh. So 
after the surgery, I couldn't speak for a while, but when the voice started coming back, it only lasted a short time. And then it got even worse than it ever had before. Ah, uh, no way. So, I mean, I was preaching like this. Uh, and you have to preach, you know, it's like, wow, of so, all things, yeah. I finally resigned and I didn't know what the Lord was doing, but I couldn't do this anymore. Wow. And uh, so we moved to Austin where my daughter lived. I got a job there. Um, I, I'm from New Mexico in Austin. Mm-hmm. So I got a full-time job delivering where I wouldn't have to speak. Right. Seeing if I didn't speak all day, maybe the voice would come back. Yeah. My wife got a full-time job. We lived in a like a 500-square-foot little apartment. Uh, wow. By then, we were empty nesters. Kids had all moved out. Okay, well, yeah. So we were just living and wondering. You know, it was a very difficult time for us. Yeah. A lot of wondering what, because of this, my voice didn't come back. I'm not I was lifting a lot at my age. It wasn't wise to be lifting as much as I was okay. in delivery, but yeah. that was not going to last. Right. Okay. So about six months into that, the voice started to come. Back. It's never fully recovered from what it was, but it, was, it just started where I could speak. People could hear me again Man. normally. And so we were there almost nine or 10 months. Then this, the, the pastor of this church I'm at now in Houston resigned. Okay. And it's already in my presbytery. So they asked me to candidate and then I was called. Wow. So I was in Austin a year, then we moved to Houston. Hmm. And now I've been here two years in Houston. Wow, what a story. That's that's amazing. Um thank thank God the, the voice came back. I mean, do you know why? Is that just or is this kind of all random? I mean, the only thing I read online was that sometimes these surgeries, there are a lot of scars from it. Okay. And they take take a year or two for the scars to heal. Wow. That may have happened. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, huh, you can speak and you're on the glory cloud. Yes. <laughs> so we're happy. Thank <laughs> you. That's a good end to that story. Wow, that's that's so stressful. That's crazy. Yeah, I often think, I mean, for all things, for a preacher, it's almost like you can lose your hands, you can lose your legs. You, can, know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the one thing you can't really lose is your voice right. there, or your right. brain, I suppose. But anyway, uh, you know, th- those are the two things you really want to hold intact. But um, yeah. And I'd wow. like to say that, well, during that whole time, my faith was just totally wrong, trusting in the Lord, but no, we really struggled. It, it wavered. I can imagine. It was a difficult time. Yeah. Wow. Just a just a difficult. Yeah. Talking about providence earlier, but a difficult providence, right? A mysterious, yeah. difficult providence. Yeah. Um, so I suppose um, just coming back to your dissertation, um, you know, just I, I'm quite interested in in why you'd want to jump into, uh, you know, that sort of work. I, I find myself in a similar situation after like 15 years of pastoral ministry. I'm, you know, now starting PhD stuff and, you know, oldest PhD guy around, a PhD guy around and all you see all these 21 year olds getting their PhDs and like, what the heck? <laughs> You know, and I'm just thinking, what am I doing to myself? What is this? What am I doing? Am I, am I just like a sucker for punishment? And I'm trying to, you can tell, I'm still reasoning it through. I'd be, yeah. I'd be interested to, to hear, um, you know, what, what your process was, why you decided to, to jump back in and, and think about it uh, some more. As far as the dis- dissertation or the doctorate? Well, I, I think a little bit of both, really. You know, um, anything, anything that comes to mind? I think the doctorate was... Partly, I just wanted to learn more. Right. And then partly, I wanted to, in case as I aged, if I ever wanted to get into teaching, yeah, I wanted to pursue a little bit more. And I didn't want to quit the ministry to get a PhD. Right. Got it. So I thought this, this I could stay in the ministry and do and have that experience. Yeah. But the dissertation actually was not my plan because I had preached through Matthew. And when I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, especially the antithesis in well, all, all of them in, in Matthew 5. I really felt like the majority of Reformed and conservative scholars were missing the redemptive historical point of Matthew 5. Yeah. I wasn't the only one, but certainly a minority of how I viewed it. And so I wanted to write on that. Yeah. So it was just going to be a theological dissertation on how to understand the antithesis of Matthew 5. Right. But then the, when I met with the dissertation committee, they said, in our school, you write to solve a problem. All right. A practical problem. 
Right. <laughs> so I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to have to nail this down. Right, right. So because I had experience over the years dealing with abusive marriages and mm. um, divorces, I thought, okay, I'll deal with that particular antithesis mm -hmm. of what Jesus is saying on divorce. And so I brought out the redemptive historical aspect and how it then affected the understanding mm -hmm. of the divorce exceptions. Mm -hmm. That's because of what they required is that's why I narrowed it down to divorce. Yeah. Well, interesting. Has it served you well, that study? I mean, just moving forward from that, I mean, obviously you've served everyone else with that. And I know the PDF is available on your, on your website, which I um, yes. haven't mentioned. What is, uh, what is your blog called again? Uh, Kingdom compilations with the k com. that's it yeah. yeah kingdom compilations with the k but if you if you google that you'll definitely come you'll get it and uh i know it's not everybody PDF. will get two two kingdom but I think <laughs> <it's mostly. laughs> right. um so you have divorce there that's been a big thing um and, and i noticed also sort of it seems like counseling and um uh, you know, maybe the, the abuse thing, patriarchalism, and, uh, and then the two kingdoms thing have, have been kind of big themes and in, in things that you've dealt with. Would that, be, would that be more or less correct? Yeah, those have been certainly interests of mine. And so, yeah. Totally. Um, it's a great blog and uh, people should check it out. It's just very helpful. Obviously, I'm a big Two Kingdom fan and uh, just kind of moving in that direction, thinking about it. But uh, I found your stuff very helpful. I've, you know, again, just that pastoral angle coming through and, um, you know, just, just, just making it real at some level. You know, I think a lot of it happens at a quite a cerebral sort of, I don't know, uh, state and and just to have someone on the ground in ministry talk about it in in uh, in its uh, you know, thinking about its benefits and you know within a a Kleinian framework and just I don't know I find that very helpful and just um, and just uh, sometimes very sane you know in a world of craziness sometimes uh, as as I read through that stuff um, but on that point maybe just uh, to round this up uh, and make this somewhat uh, a listenable length for people tuning in um, the you know, I was just keen to get, I suppose, two things uh, more out of you. And that is, uh, firstly, if you had to like, we've just talked about your journey and, you know, obviously we're just touching the surface. So I know there's a million more things to say on every one of those points. But as you think about, like, what would you go back and tell yourself if if you could, if you could somehow miraculously, you know, uh, teleport yourself back to your yourself when you were beginning the journey, and, I, and I, obviously, I'm thinking about those who are beginning the journey now. What what would you say to yourself to to kind of uh, any any words of warning or caution or encouragement that come to mind there um, that you can think of? Boy, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. Um, I think I would warn myself that really believing in the sovereignty and love of God takes a long time. Yeah. Theologically, you know it, but you have to experience a lot of suffering, difficulties, challenges. And, and we still struggle with that. Of course. Um, mm. My wife is always the stable one. I'm usually the one mostly less stable with life. But, um, you know, just comforting my young self that God is working all these things out, right. whether we understand why or not. And, yeah. Yeah. I would tell myself now from experience. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. That's, um, that's good. And I think probably that's, exactly what people need a year going into it because i think you know the whole thing is you think you're going to get i'm not my, you know i'm not i don't think i finished my journey hopefully and um, you know hopefully there's more to go but even now just if i could just go back five years i think i'd have a lot to tell myself in terms of just yeah, it's kind of like the you want to sort it out quick, more quickly you know the, whether it's this situation or that situation it's just no sorry it's going to take a long time i who did i Someone, someone uh, said this the other day and I thought, wow, this is amazing. I love this. Uh, you know, I know it doesn't work like this all the time for everyone, but um, you know, the first, I think he was talking about Moses or something. And he said like the first uh, 20 years for Moses, you know, he thought he was somebody. Uh, and then the, the second 20 years he was thought, you know, realized he was nobody. 
uh, and then and then the rest of his life was what God could do with a nobody <laughs> or something along those lines. I probably got the timeline completely wrong there, but I love that idea. You know, that's super. That, that resonates with me 100%, you know, uh, in terms of just at least the way I can see things going, you know, you just kind of, it's like all the process just to bring you to a, to the ground essentially. And then, and then, um, you know, just trust in God and see what he would do with you. Um, so I appreciate that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, go for it. All yours. Well, just what you said that I would also remind myself and you learn this as you get older is that how powerless you are. Right. You yeah. know, when you're young and in the ministry, you think either your preaching abilities, your counseling abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Over time, you see the Holy Spirit either opens the heart to the gospel. Oh, man. You and yourself are powerless and don't take responsibility for other people's sins. And yes. Either their belief or disbelief because mm. the Lord was going to do it anyways. He could have used anything or anyone. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't, and I love the way that that comes out in, in a lot of what you guys talk about on Glory Cloud as well. You know, you're always making these comments that I think are very freeing. And um, and you know, I I, I didn't I didn't you know if I think back on when I started, I was I would have ignored all of that. You know, and I, and I suffered for it. You know, because you're taking on way too much, you are almost guaranteed to burn out. You know, it's just and it's not even going to be fruitful. It's just a total mess. Whereas, you know, it's the opposite of just trusting in the Lord. I think one of the things that, that, um, that happened for us is when we were going through a particularly difficult time, um, you know, I, I came into ministry thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to change the world. This is going to be amazing. Just wait till the world sees me. It's going to be, it's going to be next level, you know? And, uh, and there I am preaching and I'm just confused, you know, confused as to why it is that, you know, things are not like, you know, lights are not going on and revivals aren't happening. I mean, that's how deluded I was. Like, it was just mm. a frightening thought. But, uh, and, and I remember, you know, I'm still deluded. Don't want to give the impression that I, you know, I picked myself. But, but I remember getting to the point where I was like, utterly, you know, I can't actually do this. I can't plant the church. I can't, I can't do anything. It's just not going to happen. I can't even get one single person to get out of bed and come to church. I can't do, you know what I mean? Like, I'm yes. just absolutely powerless, as you said. And then I remember someone, walked into church and I just had to ask them because I was like, why did you come to church this morning? You know, what's the deal? Because I knew that they had no, there was no worldly interest for them in being at this church. And, and you know, why were they there? And the, what he said to me was, well, I just, I, I, I love Jesus and I want to hear his word. And I remember as he said that, I, like there's just no way I could make that happen in anyone's heart. And it just kind of dropped the penny dropped, you know, like wow. you just can't get that to happen. It's just not never going to happen. So you might as well just take that off of you and actually yeah. just trust in the Lord. And actually you might just have a little, uh, a few more years added to your life in the process and, uh, and actually enjoy yeah. people a little bit more and so forth, you know? So there's so much yeah. there. I think uh, one of the best books I actually ever read on this um, might be worth just quickly mentioning if I can, quickly bring this up um i don't know if you've ever read this todd but um let me see uh it's something like grace on the brink of, oh there we go um clay clay werner or clay werner um grace on the brink grace for the burned out pastor um it's so good on this point it really is it, it just kind of takes it all the way so in case uh, you haven't heard of that or anyone listening I'm to that i'm gonna have to order that one Oh man, you'll love it. I mean, it's, 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 I think it's uh, one of Horton's students that, you know, went on oh. to write that. And so it's got all, you know, the good stuff in there. And, um, uh, but I, I love the ways it's just applying it to this very issue. It's great. Um, all right. Now on the book thing, and just to wrap this up again, um, I'm going to ask you an equally difficult question. Okay. If you're on an Island and you're allowed five books, what are those five books? It's not allowed being your Bible. Your Bible's not. Oh, wow. Your Bible's already in your bag. You're not allowed to including that. Yeah, you put me on the spot, didn't you? Um, <laughs> I know. And I what's, the, the horrible part is you're going to give the wrong books. Everyone knows that because everyone knows after they ask this, you know, oh, I should have said this. So everyone knows that. So don't worry about it. Just, just give us the books. I could just do four out of five and say The Hobbit and The Three Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Uh, nice. You wouldn't have space for Klein though. You'd you'd have to. I don't know. No. You'd have to make a little room no, for King and Prella. When I look back at the books that have really made the most impression on me would be Grace and Glory, Voss's sermons. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Changed my life. Wow. Um, 
I would say Kingdom Prologue. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that one because that kind of summarizes everything Klein wrote pretty much. Yes, yes. And um, probably Lord of the Rings from my reading. I, I read those as a teenager three times through. Really? That was my escape from the problems of life was to escape in Lord of the Rings. So no way. Books always belong to me. Oh, cool. Yeah. So does the idea of coming uh, to New Zealand and, and going to Hobbiton and all that, does, does that oh, is that a happy yeah. thought? or <laughs> That's a very happy thought. <laughs> all right, because I know a lot of Lord of the Rings fans are kind of weird about it. Like they're, they're like, how dare you make a movie of my favorite book and, you know, and that sort of thing. But it's almost like either they're full on into it and they just like love the movie or they just hate it, you know. So are you, you're kind of favorable towards the movie? I am, but I had friends there at the, our church here that just gave, came back from New Zealand last year and took the tour. Oh, did and they? They said a lot of. They said you'll be disappointed in some ways because a lot of it is CGI. Oh, so, so so bad. Yeah, we live very close to one of the places where you know it's all just yeah. You can see it in the movie, and <laughs> it's a it's a real letdown. I mean, it's beautiful, you know, but it's like you know you're going in, you're expecting to see all sorts of crazy things and it's not happening so yeah but i mean hobbiton's one of the cool places they've got the actual little hobbit village and whatnot so that's not cgi i understand that i understand yeah. it's on some guy's farm that he just, yeah pretty much yeah 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 so that that's pretty cool i think you'd enjoy that all right so we got uh, the hobbit for your reading um how many is that that's uh one two three you got two left yeah choose wisely <laughs> um, I really liked it and I read it a number of times um, C.S. Lewis's classic um, you know Christianity yeah yeah mere Christianity what's, what's it called mere um, Christianity mere Christianity sorry yeah yes. yeah cool yeah great book awesome alright cool so that's four you got one more <sighs> okay if we do system LG probably we'll take Hodge really yeah. All right. Yeah. You can get three volumes in one there. That's good. That's a good way to three, cheat. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Hodge's three volume. Nice. Yeah. That's great. All right. Interesting. That's a good blend. I like it, Todd. It's not all, yeah. it's, it's not all theology. You got a little bit of play in there and, uh, yeah, you get some fiction. And you even found a way to cheat the system because it's kind of like when you, you know, I, I use my one wish to ask for three more wishes. I like it. <laughs> Should have should have gone for like books and call it five. Exactly, should have uh, should have gone for like Warfield's works or something. That would have been good. I know. Uh, you could you could expand your library on this. Uh, awesome, that's so helpful. Thanks, Todd. And uh, just uh, you're on Twitter. I know. Uh, is that at Todd Bodo? Is that is that the handle there? Yeah. Okay. And I'm on, um, but I don't really use Twitter. But it's right, there. yeah, I'm the same. Sort of just kind of there and that's it um and then in terms of uh if people want to follow your sermons and that sort of thing is this uh is there a website for cornerstone you can go to sermon audio and just put my name in okay great and all my sermons are on there awesome i know a lot of people are going to want to do that and then um in terms of your we've already talked about your blog and then glory club so uh, anything else we, we could mention there to help people follow you that would be it all righty well, hey, I appreciate your time, Todd. Really, I, re I realize, uh, you know, got a lot of stuff going on and uh, it's just, uh, it's so helpful to us to hear from you. And I hope everyone listening to this has uh, appreciated that. So um, looking forward to, thanks a million for, for starting off on these new series and I'm looking forward to this Bible overview thing as well. My goodness, that's, uh, that's uh, crazy exciting. So uh, if, any, if anyone doesn't know about that, they've just started a, a Bible overview series. I'm preaching a Bible overview series right now. Whew, that is a big job right there. And, um, and so I'm regretting it. I wish I had started after you guys had started. That way I could just copy you. <laughs> you know, that would have been good. But now, uh, you know, here I am way ahead. So I'm just going to have to see all the things I did wrong, basically. That's how, what this is going to come down to. I have to just go through your notes and go, ah, oh, I'm going to have to preach it again later. Um, but um, oh, thank, thanks, all, thanks to all your listeners for listening to Glory Cloud also. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's it's such a such a valuable such a valuable podcast. So let me encourage you guys to to keep moving there. Um, all right, well, we'll wrap it up at that point. Thanks so much again, Todd, and thanks for listening, guys. And I'm ending it. Yeah, you should hear the jingle. Mm -hmm.